The reading today is Amos chapter 9 and verses 1 to 10. Amos chapter 9 verses 1 to 10, page 923. I saw the Lord standing by the altar and he said, Strike the tops of the pillars so that the thresholds shake. Bring them down on the heads of all the people. Those who are left I will kill with the sword. No one will get away. None will escape. Though they dig down to the depths of the grave, from there my hand will take them. Though they climb up to the heavens, from there I will bring them down. Though they hide themselves on the top of Carmel, there I will hunt them down and seize them. Though they hide from me at the bottom of the sea, there I will command the serpent to bite them. Though they're driven into exile by their enemies, there I will command the sword to slay them. I will fix my eyes upon them for evil and not for good. The Lord, the Lord Almighty, he who touches the earth and it melts, and all who live in it mourn, the whole land rises like the Nile and then sinks like the river of Egypt. He who builds his lofty palace in the heavens and sets its foundation on the earth, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land. The Lord is his name. Are not you Israelites the same to me as the Cushites, declares the Lord? Did I not bring Israel up from Egypt, the Philistines from Kaphtor, and the Arameans from Ker? Surely the eyes of the sovereign Lord are on the sinful kingdom. I will destroy it from the face of the earth. Yet I will not totally destroy the house of Jacob, declares the Lord. For I will give the command and I will shake the house of Israel among all the nations as grain is shaken in a sieve and not a pebble will reach the ground. All the sinners among my people will die by the sword. All those who say, disaster will not overtake or meet us. Thank you, Shelley. And good to hear, David, you enjoy the Platinum Jubilee. Um, it's great that, um, I'm sure some of us has been sharing that with me as well. Uh, great to hear that it's been a lovely weekend. And I must confess at this point that I've not been a keen follower of the royal family for a long time. Well, until this weekend, actually, seeing, seeing how great the community comes together, seeing how the life has contributed her, her 70 years to serving the country. It touches me uh, this weekend. And, and, and it's been a lovely experience for me, uh, especially coming from overseas originally. And I suppose if I told you that we had an invitation for the Queen to be here tonight at Christ Church, uh, joining the five o'clock service. Uh, do look around to see if you can find her. And uh, there she is. Uh, the Queen is with us um, in a full size. Um, this, uh, car box, uh, car box uh, sort of picture of her. Um, here she is. And you might be a little bit disappointed, aren't you, if I told you that that's the Queen uh, with us this evening. Slightly disappointed, maybe. But let's suppose if I told you that, 
Well, actually, the invitation was the queen to come here and to give a speech. There she goes, uh, by the lectern. It's silent, isn't it? She's not going to tell us much in the speech. That's really disappointing if that's what we came here for, knowing that we're looking forward for, uh, to a speech by the Queen. And I suppose if I told you that the invitation was for the Queen to come here, not to just give a speech, but to be with us in the tea party afterwards, to share with us um, her, some of her experience. That's not going to happen, is it, with the Queen? Just barely standing, I'm afraid, um, um, in this format here. I'll, I'll put her down um, here for now. See there. Well, that's disappointing. Well, in some ways, if that's the Queen that we're expecting this evening, with the promises given, no message, no sound, you could say, well, yeah, she, she, the, the picture is here, but not the real thing. It's just, it's just a bit of a counterfeit. You would feel a bit angry and maybe cheated on, outraged maybe, if you even came all the way to here to see the Queen tonight. Well, what has that got to do with Amos, a passage that we're looking at in chapter 9 this evening? Well, let me tell you a bit about the history, just to fill you in. A uh, hundred years, 180 years before Amos uh, wrote the book, uh, Jeroboam the um, first, he he was the king. He led off a party of the ten northern tribe to form what's uh, the the kingdom of Israel. And for various reasons, I'm going to skip over, mainly political though, that he wanted the people of Israel not to go back to the southern kingdom not to continue to annual pilgrimage to the south, to Jerusalem. So what he did was he set up a feast on a fake date on the calendar, on the church calendar. He built a fake altar, the counterfeit altar, and he even made sure he stood in front of the altar as the counterfeit king. That's King Jeroboam I. Well, the whole thing is the counterfeit, isn't it? If, if you imagine a bit like, like the counterfeit altar to prop up a counterfeit monarchy, uh, that's the backdrop to Amos 9 that we're looking at this evening. And fast forward 180 years to now the, 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 the then king, Jeroboam II. He's in reign. And Amos, the righteous man, the prophet, he sees this vision that we've been reading this evening. And how? Is this vision relevant to us today? Well, that's the question. If you're joining us new this evening or you've been coming on and off on this series, well, the, the message so far in Amos has been pretty much God warning his people, and it's a warning of judgment. And we are in this section towards the end of Amos now in chapter 7, uh, ch chapter 9, but the, the, the visions that, that started back in chapter 7. And you would notice that in the intensity of the visions coming up to what we've been reading today, um, this evening, is far richer, far more realistic, because in verse 1, the Lord is standing on the altar, speaking judgment. 
or Amos must have seen this carefully considered image because this is the real king standing on the altar. The counterfeit king, Jeroboam I, is being replaced by the real. It's meant to wake us up. And Amos' message is not only relevant 3,000 years ago and, and thousands of miles away, but Amos' message is relevant to us now because it tells us how God is dealing with God's people. The God who reigned not only 70 years, but since eternity, right from the beginning, wants his people that they are not taking him seriously. And we, today, in the 21st century Cambridge here, we might be in the same danger, I wonder, that we might be living like the counterfeit king. We might be living a counterfeit life. And we are pretending to, to be righteous in some ways. Just look back at chapter 8, verse 5 for a moment. Look back at the page. Um, let me read verse 5. When, we, uh, when will the new moon be over that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath be ended that we may market wheat, skimping on the measure, boosting the price, and cheating with dishonest scales, buying the poor with silver and the needy for, for a pair of sandals? selling even the sweepings with the wheat. Well, you see, the people that Amos is speaking to, Amos speaks, speaks to this an oppressive and greedy society. A society where the rich is getting richer and the poor is getting poorer, and they think of judgment. What judgment? Surely not us. Well, that's our first heading this evening. Our first heading this evening it was something like, there's no room to pretend. There's no room to pretend. There's, there's no room to pretend when we are the counterfeit. Well, God has his eyes set on judging the people. And that's the same God has his eyes judging on us too. Well, and Amos chapter 9 tells us that if you think God's judgment surely won't come onto us, as if the Christian message is all about love and none of that stuff about sin and judgment, we don't want to hear that. Well, this is the kind of passage, isn't it, that we need to hear. There's little good if we pretend to be Christians, but if we live like the pagans. There's little good if we pretend to be Christians, only to take advantage of what the Christian um, um, has, the message has to offer, but not really trusting in God himself. We want the good stuff, but not the, the, the good God. Well, if you're wondering about God's judgment at this point, and you might be one of those who are thinking, well, surely not me. I've been good in my life. Well, perhaps that should challenge us this evening and wake us up to ask the kind of questions, where's our confidence that we are standing on? in the midst of God's judgment? How are we going to respond to God and his wrath against our greed? Perhaps not necessarily the greed with wealth or money, but maybe our lack of generosity with our time? Maybe we only think of ourselves more important than others in the society? 
or even a sense of what the Pharisees' attitudes are, that Christians, we are better people, surely, than others. Well, there's no pretense in God's sight. There's no room to pretend. He spots a counterfeit here. That's our first point. Well, look down to verse 7 and 8 of Amos' vision in chapter 9. Well, it writes, Are you not Israelites, the same to me as the Cushites, declares the Lord? Did I not bring Israel up from Egypt, the Philistines from Captor, and the Arameans from Ker? Surely the eyes of the sovereign Lord are on the sinful kingdom. They're talking about Israel here, the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from the face of the earth. We see there's no immunity even for Israel. Well, aren't we the covenant people, they say? Well, surely you think that after all that God's done for them, he's chosen them, saved them, brought them out of Egypt, that they will surely escape judgment. Well, they are religious people after all. But their religion hasn't affected the ways that they live and properly worship the Lord. They are living as counterfeit people. And remember, why this is relevant to us today? Because God does deal with counterfeit people. There's no immunity from judgment. There's no room to pretend. If God's judgment, firstly, does mean that there's no room for us to pretend that we are good and proper, well, my second point here is more worrisome. There's no room for escape. So firstly, there's no room to pretend, and secondly, there's no room for escape. Well, going back to the escape theme in verse 1, look down at the end of verse, uh, verse 1 there. Well, no one gets away. None will escape. You see that? God's judgment, nobody's going to, to, to be able to escape. And from verses 2 to 4, notice the five does. Do they dig down to the depths below? Do they climb up to the heavens? Do they hide themselves on top of Carmel? Do they hide from the eyes of the bottom of the sea? Though they are driven into exile by their enemies. Well, if it helps, picture yourself this. Um, I don't know if you've done much motorway driving. I've done uh, quite a bit and over the last few years, especially. Um, I, um, if you drive down the middle lane on the motorway, and you suddenly find yourself coming, being slowed down a bit, a bit by the traffic in front of you. And then what you do, you, of course, you look to the right-hand side, find the opportunity, find the gap, press the accelerator, go to the fast lane, and carry on driving down. But unfortunately, the very reason that moves you over to the fast lane is the same reason for everybody. So everybody moves over there, the fast lane gets a bit piled up, and suddenly it comes to a standstill. Then what everybody does is look, for the, look to the left again, find oh, the, the, the gaps on the, on the slower lanes, try to dive over there, try to find a way to get around the traffic as fast as you can. That's a bit of motorway driving I experience in this country. Um, I'm not saying I, 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 I'm... I'm um, I'm not saying that I'm asking you to try that or follow that at all. But you see our feeling immediately when we hit a stumbling block is that we look for routes that we can escape. We want to carry on making progress. And that's what verse 2 and 5 is kind of telling us. When God's 
judgment comes. We want to escape. But Amos is saying, no way you're going to escape. Look down the first two. Um, not in the supernatural, as it were. Um, in, in the NIV translation here, um, the first two reads, though they dig down to the depths of below, um, that's, um, I think Shelley's reading, down to the grave, and some literal interpretation would say to, to, to hell or climb up to the heavens above. There are no escape in the supernatural dimensions. In verse 3, there are no escape in the, in the natural either, the physical, climb up to the top of Carmel, Mount Carmel, or the bottom of the sea. There's no escape there. Or even verse 4, there's no escape being driven in exile. There's no political escape, as it were, for, the, for Israel. There's no political refuge either. Not even being captured and going to exile provides escape route. It's a standstill on the motorway. There's no way through, nowhere to turn, no room for escape. It's a bleak scene so far in chapter 9 of Amos. Our self-determination will not get us out of God's wrath. There's no room to escape. You can't hide because there's just no room to escape from God's might. And you can almost see God's might being felt. If you read the end of verse 1 and jumping into verse 5 directly, let me do that. So no one will get away at the end of verse 1. None will escape. Verse 5, the Lord, the Lord Almighty, he touches the earth and it melts, and all who live in it mourn. The whole land rises like the Nile, then sinks like the river of Egypt. He builds his lofty palace in the heavens and sets his foundation on the earth. He calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land. The Lord is his name. He is the sovereign Lord. And who are we? Well, suddenly, reading those verses makes us feel not so big anymore. That he is the Lord who does control everything that he's created. He's in control. So not only that, there's no room for us to pretend that, that we're good. There's no room to escape either from a God like that. That's a bleak perspective so far in this final chapter of Amos. But that's not all of the vision. God hasn't finished speaking and our final heading is that there is room for standing firm. There is room for standing firm. And that's the good news of Amos here, especially for us next week. But we get a little bit glimpse of that here. Um, one preacher I came across uh, during my preparation, he, he described, um, listen to Amos a bit like this. Um, the way that he puts it was, well, a six-year-old boy who's been wearing a hearing aid from a very young age, and he goes to his eight-year-old sister and boasts about being able to just turn down the volume here and there, especially when he's being scolded by his parents. And guess what the eight-year-old sister says back to him? To him? She says, you feel the smack of your bottom still. Well, that's exactly right, isn't it? That in some ways, reading through Amos, it's been hard. 
And we could have adjusted the volume every time. We could turn it down to make God's judgment a bit quieter, a bit easier to hear. But that doesn't make the judgment any softer itself. God still judges, and he judges us justly. And instead, listening carefully, heeding the warnings, listen well too, because there is good news in Amos. We'll get to that fully next week, but here's a glimpse of it, starting in uh, first, at the end of verse 8. Well, where the Lord declares that I will destroy it from face the earth, and that sinful kingdom of Israel, but yet I will not totally destroy the descendants of Jacob. Verse 9, for I will command, I'll give the command, and I will shake the people of Israel among all the nations, as grain is shaken in a sieve, and not a pebble will reach the ground. Well, when we realize that pretending doesn't work, pretending that judgment falling on us won't happen, our natural tendency is to find escape, and we know that doesn't work either. Well, God says there is hope. For us to be standing on this side of the cross 3,000 years on from Amos's day, knowing that while we cannot escape the judgment in this world, the Lord Jesus himself, who's perfectly reigning outside of this world, comes into this world to provide the perfect escape for us. On this side of the cross, we can be sure that it's not the supernatural or the natural things that's going to save us. Have no hope and certainty on those things. But yet, trust in the Lord, the Lord Almighty himself, reaching out to us. And the way that he reaches out to us is so secure that Amos describes it as grains being shaken in a sieve. In some ways, the Lord is gathering all his people, and he holds them firm until that all his people is gathered and the rest are removed. That, that certain hope that he does save, of his, his way of refining in the way of through judgment, it's kind of refining that only gets rid of the pretend and the counterfeit. And that's a terrible judgment for them. But there is hope for those who trust in the Lord Jesus. Those hearts are truly won over that Christianity is not just a label, but it, it changes us inside, that we are able to say sorry to the Lord himself. That our pretend days are over, that we, instead we want to love and obey the Lord. Where, that's where hope is. Remember that verse that we read earlier, the promise of forgiveness. Um, it should be on the screen now. The words in 1 Peter. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God, that escape there, that we can stand firm as Christ brings us to God. But he was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. 
only Christ Jesus is the real king. Don't trust in the counterfeits. Don't trust in ourselves to pretend that we know better. Trust in the king, the real king, that we can have hope. Run to him. Let me pray as we close. Refine us, O Lord, through hearing your hard words in Amos. But it, I pray that it will shape us and cause our heart to change and trust in God's, your goodness, through Jesus. For Jesus' sake, amen.